Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 95, A Mac Headache. Hi, I'm Neil. There's a lot to go over in today's episode, so we're just going to jump right in. Last episode was all about the iPad and Apple becoming more aggressive with its iPad strategy. A few days after that episode, Apple had a surprise for us, and it had to do with the Mac. The company held a private yet on-the-record meeting with five outside journalists, and the topic was the Mac business. Now, before we go any further, I think it's refreshing that the Mac and the iPad have been getting so much attention recently. When you think of Apple earnings, everyone focuses on the iPhone. It's the most important product for Apple in terms of revenue, in terms of operating income, and also the iPhone's the driver for bringing new people into the Apple ecosystem. So what that usually does is it pushes the iPad and the Mac to the side. And we don't really get to talk about those products as much. But recently, these past few weeks, that's changed. And the focus has certainly been on the iPad and the Mac. Now, of course, as we progress during the year, that will likely change. WWDC in June, iOS will be a very, very big part. I think the iPhone's going to be part of that discussion as well. And then, of course, we get the new iPhones in September. So in a way, let's enjoy having the focus be on the iPad and the Mac business. Turning to this most recent Apple Mac event, I think we could call it an event or maybe a private press briefing or a private keynote, whatever you want to call it. It was different. It was unique. We haven't seen Apple do something like this in the past. A few years ago, Apple did have private press briefings to preview new Mac software. I believe that occurred in New York. And if you look at some of the more recent keynotes, they have given access to new products to certain publications for reviews or to have sort of that big article right after the keynote is finished. So that's happened. That's not really unusual. But what Apple did this time around was they talked about the Mac pipeline. They didn't release new products. There wasn't a new MacBook, a new iMac, or a new Mac Pro to test out or review. They talked long-term strategy. They talked what they're working on. And that's unusual. There are a few reasons why you don't want to go around talking about your product pipeline. The first, which I think is the most straightforward, it can impact sales. So if you're going around saying, well, we're working on this new iMac and we're really excited, it's going to be great. Well, maybe people won't buy the iMac that you're currently selling. And that applies across Apple's product line. I actually think this impacts every consumer electronics company. You don't want to get people thinking about stuff that you're currently working on. The second reason is expectations. You don't want to build expectations up. And then if something happens and you either have to delay that product, can the product just kind of kill the product because it didn't go where you want it to go, that's going to really hurt your customer expectations. They are going to want that product. Now they can't get it. That's never a good thing. And the third item is pretty much all intangible, and that's the surprise factor. Consumers want to be surprised. A lot of consumers who don't follow Apple too closely, they're not sure what products they're working on. And so when they do hear about that new red iPhone 7 or that new MacBook Pro, there's a surprise factor. And I think that does sort of help build the overall experience that surrounds Apple products. All of that is due to Apple being so secretive 
about its product pipeline. So for Apple to go against that and talk about the Mac product line, that means something. And I actually think what it ends up suggesting is that this management team, they are now on the defense when it comes to the Mac. And we're going to talk a lot more about that very shortly. Now, taking a look at some of the key takeaways from this on-the-record meeting, I think there were three. I think the first one, which probably is what Apple really wanted to get across, their story about the lack of Mac updates targeting Pro users. We could go back a couple of years. The Mac product line has been, how do I say it, not exactly experiencing the most routine updates. We haven't had that consistency. And if you look specifically at Pro Mac users, they really haven't gotten the upgrades that they want or the upgrades that they think they should be getting. And so what Apple said is they're sorry about that. The second takeaway is that the current Mac Pro that Apple currently sells suffers from a fatal design decision. And it makes it almost impossible for Apple to update the product, for Apple to make that product what users really want it to become. The current design was too aggressive. Apple just can't do it. Interestingly, though, the device will continue to be sold. So you can kind of figure that one out. And the third takeaway is that management did debate the Mac Pro's future. And what they ended up doing was changing strategy. They decided that they're going to work on an entirely new Mac Pro. In addition, they're going to work on an Apple-branded Pro display to go along with the Mac Pro. So if you take a look at those takeaways, and there is a transcript available of the entire presentation that TechCrunch published. You can take a look at everything that they said. A lot of people looked at this and said, well, this was a Mac Pro event. Apple wants to prevent influential content creators from jumping ship. So this is really focused on Pro Mac users, specifically that Mac Pro user base. And maybe that is what Apple was trying to get across with this particular meeting. But I think when you read between the lines, this is a much bigger issue here. This is not just about an outdated Mac Pro. Instead, this is about the Mac business. And this is about the Mac business becoming a headache for Apple. I think that there's a lot of risk found with what Apple is doing here, coming out with a new Mac Pro, coming out with a new Mac display. And also management said there's probably going to be new Pro-centric updates to the iMac and the MacBook Pro. When you weigh the pros and cons to all of these updates and all of these strategy changes, I do think you probably will come to the conclusion that Apple's doing the right thing here. Apple should come out with a new Mac Pro. Apple should have a new display. There should be new configurations for the iMac and the MacBook Pro that target Pro users. I don't think that's really the issue. Instead, I think the fact that Apple has to do all of this, that Apple has to update its Mac line to target a little bit more of the Pro user base, I think because they have to do that, it raises red flags. And it makes me think that the Mac is becoming a major vulnerability in Apple's product line. The risk here is that Apple is going to get stuck with a $25 billion legacy business. And it's not just hardware, it's not just software. We also have the corresponding user base. 
And I think that combination is increasingly starting to serve as a threat to the rest of Apple's product strategy. That position may be a little controversial. And so what we're going to do for the next couple minutes is really take my thesis apart. We're going to break it down and look at what I think are the challenges here. We're going to see what is really going on with the Mac business. And I think at the end of the episode, we'll see how I think the Mac discussion, it needs to be a little bit different than what everyone else is talking about. The best place to begin here is to frame the Mac business. So what that means is to really see how is the Mac business doing compared to the rest of Apple. I don't think we should just judge this by unit sales or growth trends. That's not enough. Instead, when you take a look at strategy, it feels like there are two characters within Apple battling each other in the post-PC era. On one side, we have mobile. And I think this is where Apple's success is unmatched. The company is connecting with the mass market like never before. Look at the iPhone business. Apple is bringing in more than 100 million new people into the ecosystem because of the iPhone every year. That is a pretty remarkable data point. And the reason why it doesn't get enough attention is that it's being masked. Everyone is looking at slowing iPhone unit sales and they're not taking a closer look at, well, where are those iPhone sales going to? Are they going to iPhone upgraders or are they going to people new to iPhone? But this is much bigger than just even the iPhone. When we look at Apple wearables, Apple Watch, I think that product has momentum. It's building. We have more than 20 million people wearing an Apple Watch every day. Wireless AirPods, it's still early, but I think all of the sales trends look promising. I actually am seeing wireless AirPods out in the wild more so than I did with Apple Watch when that was launched in 2015. So things look pretty promising for AirPods. And more importantly than any one of these products, you see a management team that's on the same page. They believe in the same strategy when it comes to mobile. A great example of this is what Apple is trying to do by controlling all of the core technologies found in its mobile devices. We have recent news of Apple developing its own GPU solution. We also see Apple not being afraid to go up against Qualcomm for the first time. What is Apple doing with all these decisions and all of these moves? I think the long-term strategy here is to eventually get to the point where Apple is able to ship its own single system on a chip that powers its entire mobile and wearable product line. This is going to give Apple a competitive advantage that's not just measured in years, but measured in decades. Look at what Apple is doing with certain mobile services. We have big investments in mapping, payments. Those are going to help Apple tremendously when you consider how this tech landscape is going to change. The new battlegrounds will be for our body, for our road, for our car. In those instances, I think mobile payments and mapping, they're going to be crucial aspects of that. So that's mobile. I think it's going really well at Apple. But now look at the Mac. In the article over at AboveAvalon.com that I published a few days ago, I referred to Apple's Mac strategy as looking like a slow motion train wreck. And I think that is the best way to describe this. 
Now, there are positives to find. You look at what they're doing with Touch ID, multi-touch displays, ARM processors, that 12-inch MacBook that came out in 2015. Those are positives. I think those are signs that this Apple Industrial Design Group, they know where they want to bring the Mac. But what happens is all of those positives, they are outweighed by the negatives. We have a sporadic update schedule. Apple's relationship with its pro Mac user community is going downhill. And this has been like this for years. This is not just a recent development. I think there are still questions about Apple's broader strategy. If we spent months thinking about where to bring the MacBook over the next five, 10 years, I think the end goal would be something like the iPad. And so that draws into question just what is going on with the Mac business? In addition, you don't see Apple making the type of investments like they are with the Mac. And I don't think that's by mistake. I think that's intentional. The future is found with devices that are able to push technology forward, make technology more personal. It's found with mobile. It's found with wearables. It's not found with the Mac. One can ask, well, wait a second. This sounds pretty bad. Why doesn't this derail Apple? Why isn't this turning into a bigger headache? And the reason for that is that the business has become pretty small. It's become niche. In 2016, Apple sold more than 250 million iOS devices. That includes iPhone, iPad, and we could throw in the few hundred thousand iPod touches. In comparison, they're selling fewer than 20 million Macs. So the Mac only accounts for 11% of Apple's overall revenue. So said another way, even if Mac sales go down because of bad strategy or because of sporadic updates, you're not going to really see that become an issue on Wall Street. You're not going to see investors care about that. The one area you do see it start to become an issue, pro users. And that's exactly what's going on. There is a growing amount of backlash being thrown at Apple management from its pro user community. What's interesting about this is up to now, there really hasn't been your traditional alternative for these users. And I wouldn't say it was Microsoft. It wasn't Windows. Some now think that's changing. Some think Microsoft Surface now actually represents a viable alternative. We could probably debate that in a whole new episode. The point is, it feels like the dynamic is changing a little bit, and it's starting to move against Apple in a way that has never occurred in the past. When you add all of these changes together and you look at the big picture, I think Apple's Achilles heel is starting to become visible here. As Apple gets better at making technology more personal for the mass market, they're losing touch with their legacy pro users. And I think the Mac Pro has come to symbolize this Achilles heel. Because for the past 10 years, this management team, including Johnny Ive and the Apple Industrial Design Group, they've been focused on coming up with products that move people beyond the Mac. But what happened here is that strategy, it did not address 30 million Apple users who are still dependent on pro Mac hardware and software. That's just 4% of the user base. Here's the issue, though. 4% of the user base is responsible for creating the content that's consumed by the other 96% of Apple users. That 4% has played a role in Apple's success in mobile. 
But the better Apple gets in mobile, I think the harder it is for them to address that 4%, to keep that 4% engaged. Apple's Achilles heel is found at the tail end of its business. What that means is if you take a look at Apple unit sales, and then you break that apart by screen size. So we have everything from the 4-inch iPhone SE to the 7.9-inch iPad mini, 13-inch MacBook. 27 inch iMac. If you put all of those products, break them out by screen size along a spectrum, and then figure out how many of each did Apple sell. I actually did this over at aboveavalon.com. It was exhibit two. What you'll see is that, of course, the iPhone is where all of the sales are found. The 4.7 inch iPhone is the best selling screen size at Apple. And that's followed by the iPhone Plus, then the iPhone SE, then you have some iPad models. What you notice is at the tail end of this spectrum, that's where all the Macs are found. That is where the large screen iMacs, that's also where you have the Mac Pro and the Mac Mini. So that tail end of the business, it's niche. It's not mass market. Apple's not selling a lot of those devices. And I think what's happened here is Apple management has come to the realization that those niche devices, they can't be cast off. They can't be ignored. Instead, they're going to need an increasing amount of attention and resources. And I think that poses a challenge for Apple. I think that starts to introduce risk into Apple's business model, where they are starting to be chained to a legacy business. I don't think the Mac represents Apple's future. I don't think the Mac will inspire the next generation. Yet the company can't move beyond the Mac. They need to support it for the simple fact that the Mac is where all of its content creators live. That's a problem. How did Apple get into this position? Because I don't think this was just something that occurred over the past few months. This isn't just a recent development. This has been going on for a number of years. And I think ultimately what happens here is that when you look at the Mac, it's not like the iPod. It is not a device that has been cleanly and quickly cannibalized by something else. iOS and multi-touch are not able to handle all of the tasks that are currently given to the Mac. I think many of you are probably Mac users. You use certain applications. You have certain workflows for the Mac. You can't use an iPad Pro to handle all of those workflows. It's just not possible yet. Will that change in the future? Maybe, but we're not there. This is why I think Apple has been so vocal about its continued investment in the Mac. Yes, the company is becoming more aggressive with the iPad. I do think that's true. I don't think this recent Mac news changes that. The company is obviously being aggressive with the iPhone and wearables. But the debate here has never been about whether or not Apple will continue to sell Macs. Yes, they will. The debate is how do you bring the Mac into the future? I think what Apple ended up doing was they placed a bet on the MacBook Pro and the iMac. And they figured if we come out with higher-end configurations for those two models, that will be able to handle most of our pro Mac user base. People will be able to transition their workflows to those MacBooks and iMacs. I think Apple was partly right in that. If you take a look at those trends, that's what's occurred. 
The problem is there's still a very small segment that we're not able to make that jump. You have millions of pro users who can't move beyond something like the Mac Pro or high-end PCs. They need something like that. They can't use a MacBook Pro. They can't use an iMac. I think this situation led to a pretty intense debate within Apple management as to what to do going forward. And I think the decision was made that a new Mac Pro is needed. A new Apple brand of Pro display is needed. The decision to work on a new Mac Pro, even though it may be the right one, I think it does raise a number of red flags. I have some concerns here. The first has to do with resource strain. Even though Apple has a lot of money, $246 billion of cash to cash equivalents, they could do a lot of hiring, they could do a lot of M&A, they could do a lot of investing. Even though they have all of that cash, Apple is fundamentally resource constrained. How does that make sense? How is that possible? Look at time and attention. Apple management has a finite amount of attention to give the product line. This is not a company that can come out with all of these products at the same time, updating things, entering new industries. That's not how it works. Instead, the organizational structure is put into place in order to put the product above all else. This is a management team that moves throughout the year from product to product to product. What that means is if Apple is working on new Pro Mac hardware, the company may need to take its foot off the accelerator with something else, with a different product. I have gotten some pushback from people saying, well, wait a second, Apple doesn't really need to spend too much time on a Mac Pro or a standalone display. So how is this a big deal? They could just maybe put some resources to those products. It's not going to jeopardize everything else. I'm skeptical about that. And this is the much broader issue with Apple's Achilles heel. I think when you start talking about devices targeting pro users, I don't think it's a given that this management team can just throw a couple resources towards the Mac group and everything is solved. I think it's a much more complicated situation. There are then people who look at this and go, well, this is a major flaw regarding Apple's organizational structure. They should change away from a functional organizational structure and adopt something new. And I disagree with that. The functional organizational structure is not a disadvantage or a weakness. It's actually one of Apple's secrets to success. And it's for one very simple reason. It places the product above everything else. It is a good thing to have the industrial design team, Tim Cook and his inner circle, be able to work together and place a very few big bets on products. That is ultimately what the functional organizational structure allows. The consequence of that is that you need to be careful as to what you invest. You need to be careful as to what products you think are most important. So it's telling that Apple has to support the tail end of its product line, the devices that don't sell in quantity, the devices that are starting to become niche devices that are legacy products. For them to invest in those products, the fear or the concern is that other products end up losing. 
it was interesting because after last episode, when we talked about the iPad, I got some people saying, well, Apple isn't really moving fast enough with the iPad. Those updates could be more frequent. They could be more significant. So what is Apple doing? Well, how are they going to push the iPad forward, still update the iPhone on the annual cadence, update Apple Watch seemingly on an annual cadence, and all now they're going to have to update the Mac on, what, an annual cadence? At a certain point, you just can't get this working. And then at the same time, you have Apple moving forward with Project Titan, moving forward with augmented reality, moving forward with new wearable products. This is a lot for Apple to do. And I don't think people are recognizing how resource-constrained Apple really is. The second red flag that is raised with a new Mac Pro has to do with broader cultural differences found within the Apple user base. So some of you may be still thinking, I don't quite buy the whole resource-constrained thing. I think Apple will be capable to develop mobile devices, wearables, and sell Pro Max at the same time. I think Apple will be able to do that just fine. That ignores one aspect here. Apple wouldn't just be selling new Mac Pro hardware or a standalone display. Instead, they would be sustaining a small but influential base of Pro users. These users would be dependent on Mac OS. This is very different than the hundreds of millions of people who are increasingly using just iPhones in their daily life. So very similar to what's going on with the iPhone user base and how what was once a very small homogeneous group is now a very heterogeneous group that thinks very differently about the iPhone, the same thing is occurring with the broader Apple user base. We have different wants and needs. We have certain groups that look at the Mac Pro in one way, other groups are doing something completely different. I think it's going to be very difficult for Apple to satisfy all of these users. So that's one reason why I do look at the Mac business as a legacy business. That doesn't mean that Apple will kill it off. It doesn't mean that Apple will sell that business. Instead, it means that the Mac and the corresponding user base is very distinct from the rest of Apple. And I'm starting to be a little bit doubtful that Apple will be able to bridge the gap and satisfy all of those users. The third red flag has to do with product strategy. I think there's a hole developing in Apple's broader product strategy when you look at the Mac. A while back, I introduced the grand unified theory of Apple products. This is based off of Apple's senior vice president, Phil Schiller, and his description of how all of these Apple products are in one way related to each other. So at the very high end, you have desktops and laptops. They are meant to push the boundaries of a computer. And then what happens below that is all of these other devices, they're positioned to handle tasks formally given to the most powerful device. Very simple example here, an iPad. Its duty or its job is to handle tasks formally given to the Mac. The iPhone, meanwhile, well, its job is to handle tasks formally given to the iPad or the Mac. And then you even have the Apple Watch. Its job is to handle tasks formally given to the iPhone. In that theory, I think what's going on is there's a hole that's starting to develop. Because when you look at the top end of that theory, the desktop and laptop, there's not much evidence 
to suggest that those machines are pushing the rest of Apple's product line forward. Instead, I think the opposite is occurring. I think the iPhone and the iPad are being used to decide where to bring the MacBook and the iMac forward. So it's in reverse. And I think when you look at something like the iPad Pro, it's becoming a little bit awkward because that device is starting to give the Mac a run for its money in terms of performance. So I think it really does draw into question just where does the Mac fit within Apple's broader product strategy? There's no sign that a MacBook or an iMac is serving as inspiration for Apple's smaller screens. This is a sign, this is an indicator that there could be value destruction occurring with larger screens within Apple's business. That is the tail end of the business that we've been talking about, also known as the Mac. We are giving more and more of our time to smaller screens in our life. Well, where does that leave the Mac? I think increasingly it's looking like a legacy platform that's starting to look like an odd fit. So what's the game plan going forward? How does Apple plan to address its Achilles heel, address pro Mac hardware, and the corresponding user base. I don't think Apple will try to get around its Achilles heel. I think instead, the plan for now is just to be more aware of it. I still think that this management team and the Apple industrial design team, they look at the iPad and the iOS as the more promising platform when compared to Mac and Mac OS. And we talked a lot about this in last episode. This is a management team that is pushing the iPad like never before. And we still haven't quite seen the full strategy. We don't know software updates. We don't know hardware updates. That hasn't occurred yet. We have to look to WWDC for the software and possibly this fall or early 2018 for new iPads. But I think you're going to start to see more and more occur with the iPad. However, I think what changed is this management team knows that their previous Mac strategy, it would have fallen short. There would have been no viable path forward for tens of millions of pro Mac users. So you're going to see Apple sort of take a step back in a way. Think of it as Apple was trying to run as fast as possible, and they sort of left the pro Mac user base, the pro Mac segment behind. Well, they got called out. And so now they're going to take a step back, try to grab onto that user base and sort of bring them along with them. I think this is a company that's still going to move very quickly in terms of mobile and wearables. It's just going to get more complicated. And that takes us to the main takeaway from this episode. I think that when we look at the Mac business, we do need to start taking into consideration how it has become a vulnerability how it is going to be messy, how the path forward for Mac does look increasingly bumpy. That's not necessarily an anti-Mac stance. It's not a pro-iPad stance. Instead, it's a realization that the Mac business is becoming complicated. There are red flags starting to appear, and I think we need to be aware of that going forward. And when you look at the big picture and you look at what Apple really should be doing here, how should they be thinking about this situation? Very often, it, it helps being simple. It helps not getting too complicated. Apple's mission is to make technology more personal. We see that with the iPhone, 
with Apple Watch, even something like wireless earpods. That's the future. And I think what ends up happening is that when you make technology more personal, it ends up inspiring a new generation of content creators. The iPhone, the iPad, those are the devices that are inspiring tomorrow's content creators. It's not going to be the Mac. And I would go so far as to say that the Apple Watch, wireless AirPods, and other wearables that Apple will ship, those aren't far behind in really being able to inspire the next generation. So when you take a look at where things are headed in tech, when you take into consideration new technologies like augmented reality, I'm starting to question just how important large screens will be in our life. Some of you may say, well, I'm always going to use my iMac. I'm always going to use a laptop. That may be true. But when you consider how hundreds of millions of people, for the first time, they are relying on just iPhones to handle most of their technology needs. That's a very powerful development. And I tend to think that all of these expectations that we're going to forever use laptops, we're going to forever use desktops, those aren't going away. I'm starting to get a little bit doubtful of that. When you consider how powerful cameras are becoming and how small screens, they're going to transition into augmented reality navigators. I think large screens, they actually start to become like relics. From Apple's perspective, they should be the company that pushes for that future, that moves towards that future. I think that's why wireless AirPods, Apple Watches, the camera advances in the iPhone, that's why I think those features are so crucial because that's where things are headed. And so when you look at the Mac, I think they still need to support it. They still need to give those computing solutions to the tens of millions of people who need pro Mac hardware and software. But Apple can't let that take their focus off what's really important. And that is finding the future. That is figuring out what comes next. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoy this type of Apple analysis and you want more of it throughout the week, I do offer Above Avalon Membership. The cornerstone of membership is access to the exclusive daily email that I write about Apple. Each email is about 2,000 words. We cover two to three stories, so that's about 10 to 12 stories per week. Looking back over the past two weeks of daily email, so this was since last episode, we covered a number of different Apple topics. Christopher Stringer, the veteran Apple industrial designer, is leaving Apple. I think that's a very big deal. I haven't seen a lot of people mention it or even really care about it. It's something noteworthy. And so we dedicated one daily email to go over what it means for Apple, what it means for the industrial design group, because I do think there are significant changes starting to occur within that group. We also looked a little bit closer about today's topic. So we looked specifically at why I think Apple is playing defense with the Mac Pro. We looked at Apple's revised Mac strategy, and we also took apart Exhibit 2. So when we were talking about the tail end of Apple's business according to screen size, I went over all of the math behind my sales estimates. So how did I come up with sales for iPhone SE or the 5.5-inch iPhone 
or the 12.9 inch iPad Pro. We went over all of those details. We discussed how Apple went public with its GPU ambition, including going on a talent hiring spree. So we went over all of my thoughts about the topic, what it means for Apple going forward. We took a deep dive into Mac and PC sales for the first quarter of 2017. There were some clues as to probably what Apple will report for Mac sales when they report earnings in a few weeks. And we talked about how the smartwatch obsession, it's hitting Switzerland. And how some smartphone manufacturers, they just don't seem to understand why people are buying Apple Watch. It's a good question to wonder how you can actually compete against the Apple Watch when you don't know why someone is buying an Apple Watch. So all of those stories and more were sent to above Avalon members just in the past two weeks in the daily email. To become a member and get access to this exclusive daily email, just head on over to AboveAvalon.com. Go to the membership page. Membership is either $10 per month or $100 per year. Members then have the option of joining the Above Avalon team in Slack. So that is where the archive exists. That's also where you can chat with other Above Avalon members. If you like the Above Avalon podcast, if you could leave a rating or review for this podcast in iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it. If you listen to this in Overcast, if you could recommend the episode. So on this episode, click the little I button, then press recommend. That would be very helpful. And of course, thank you to those who share these episodes on Twitter, Facebook, your favorite curated version of the web. I do appreciate it. With that We will conclude today's episode, and I will talk to you all next week. Bye.